Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Support for That UFO Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive listener offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free worldwide shipping with promo code ANDYUFO. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce any close encounters thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my Tic Tacs. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast, listener call-in part 2 for August. Really good show in part 1 and more of the same in part 2 where we have some regular callers and some new callers as well. A lot of talk on abductions, religion and the phenomenon. We talk conspiracies a little bit as well. Some mystery wire uh, comments on their summoners, summoners video. The Richard Dolan leak that was um, a couple of weeks ago. Ross Coulthart's comments on recovered vehicles and abductions come back into it right at the end from a psychological point of view and a whole lot more in there as well. Can I just ask a favour? One of the listeners has a, a band themselves and the band is called Southpaw. You can check them out on Spotify and they have a song called Visitors that is very much based on the UAP or UFO phenomenon. That is the outro for the show today. So please check that out. It's Visitors by Southpaw. And that's available on Spotify as well. So make sure you check that out right at the end after our final call from Rin. We'll get straight into it, folk, with Frank. 
We're going to keep rolling with part two, and I'm going to introduce Frank of the UFO Thinker podcast. Frank, how are we doing? I'm very well, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. And the other voice you're about to hear, and you might have heard on a pre-recorded intro, I don't know yet, I've not decided, is Dan. Dan's joining me for a couple of hours. Dan, how are we doing? I was so tempted to say I was on mute. Yeah, you should have. That's like your, your catchphrase now. You're going to have fans out there <laughs> going, a door ah, on my back. I was on mute. He said it, he said it. Um, but no, awesome. Good to have Dan along with us again for part two as well. Frank, um, one of the subjects was abductions. What have you got for us? So yeah, basically what I wanted to talk about was something I've noticed a little bit more since I've been um, on UFO Twitter, which is you occasionally get somebody pop up who claims to have been in contact with extraterrestrials, have been abducted and things like that, and been given a message. Now, I don't really want to name any names in particular because I don't want to give publicity to what could be like false claims, but let's just say maybe a person announcing a press conference to put across a message from ETs, etc. If If you know, you know. Uh, there's been a couple of these that I've noticed recently, and it's just made me think about these few points, and I'd be interested to get you guys' thoughts on them. So first off, as the topic gets more mainstream, are we likely to see more of these kinds of things, people popping up, trying to make a few quid or five minutes of fame? Not to make light of anybody's experiences, obviously, because I think the majority are genuine, but we have to be careful of how muddy the waters could get. Um, second point, I think it it begs the question, if an extraterrestrial intelligence was going to try and communicate a message to humans, how would they do it? Would they, in fact, focus on one individual or one government to break a message, or would they more likely have some means of just beaming the message into everybody's consciousness like simultaneously? And lastly, should we be aware of the possibility that a potentially vulnerable individual with sort of serious delusions or something could actually be elevated to a platform that they never really should have had in the first place by people on the internet who were desperate to believe cool yeah some good points there um dan do you want to come in first or do you want me to kick off go for it you kick off yeah cool so um first one frank on uh, are we likely to see more of these experiencer type press conferences i'm pretty sure i know the one you're talking about i've i've seen some back and forward about it online as well um i I don't think we ever see any more or any less social media has given everyone a platform and i've got to give myself that that included you know dan as well you know we've got an above average amount of followers compared to your 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 normal person which obviously we're very appreciative of but it's because of the subject we talk about and the platform we've got um so you do have that bigger audience and it does it does expose you to more people as well i think we've always kind of had that out there and i talked about this i think on part one of the listener call-in show as well about people who have um, all sorts of claims not saying whether they're, they're fabricated or true or they believe they happened but they didn't happen or it's legitimate or not but you, you see them in the tabloid papers especially here in the uk and it's it's always got a tongue in cheek tone, and it's it's really hard sometimes to to tell because it goes way back. And I love quoting this. It was Sean Cahill on my um, Room One Hundred One episode we done back at Christmas. If Dan remembers, Sean been having one source for any piece of evidence, and unfortunately, as fascinating as the topic of abductions and experiences are, there's almost always not always, but almost always just one person and their story and their experience and it's it's important these people are heard 
and they get the chance to talk about their stories, to get any help professionally that they require. Sometimes I think it's cathartic just for people to talk about them on any kind of forum. And I would invite anyone who wanted to come on and speak about their experiences to come on to the, the, the podcast with myself. And Frank, I'm sure you would do the same uh, and any other platforms to, to talk about them and not feel that they're going to be ridiculed. But they have to also understand that you can't, make people believe you can't force people to believe your story and that's that's always going to be the same even like when i talk about the sightings i've had there's no evidence i have i've got one sighting where a few other people saw it with me but again it's just it's just my story and their story so i don't know about the maybe seeing more of these but i think you're maybe just more drawn to them especially with the the audiences that we have and the groups we're involved in dan what do you think about that so I think there was there were three questions, weren't there, Frank? Yeah, I've, I've just been tapping away on notes while Andy was talking, um, and I think the first one is pretty much is it going to kind of get more or less fringe? Are we going to attract, uh, you know, more? Um, how should we say, larpers? Is that is that fair to <laughs> use that word? Um, and it, it made me think about how as we go forward, and the subject gets bigger and bigger we are going to have to contend with this almost kind of becoming like a religion and people having just beliefs in things. And I'm a big believer in, you know, religion is what happens when you stop asking questions. Um, and it, when people stop asking those questions, we're just going to have the same issues. You know, people will go and stand on steps and pronounce that their way is the correct way. Um, and as always, people will come to loggerheads over this. You know, I we, we often associate the kind of, the alt-right with conspiracy kind of talk, especially, you know, in this subject, we see it kind of attached a lot. Um, and it makes me wonder what the the other side of the spectrum to that is like. And I'm always kind of, you know, personally, I'm wary and I try and kind of stay in, I, I guess I'm a centralist when it comes to the UFO community. But, um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of people from both sides of the spectrum. Um, and all throughout the spectrum, like you said, there's people kind of, asking for money and, and it's a really sticky issue because some people you, you know uh myself included you know I, I make like kind of little trinkets and patches and things and kind of sell them to people um depending on your personal stance with people making money out of this depends on what you think you're getting out of all those kind of transactions um you know it's everything from come to the desert with me for a night for thousands and thousands of dollars um to give me a couple of quid for a sticker i guess um, and as, as the subject gets bigger, I think that's going to become more and more the norm. You know, we've already seen Tic Tac marketing wade into the waters. Um, and in it, you know, my stomach turns in a way I, I have a little Bill Hicks on my shoulder that kind of just tells me it's marketing and that we should ignore it. But, um, it's interesting because it, it's almost a way to let people celebrate in their own kind of little communities, you know? Um, we may all not agree with it, but personalities get elevated and especially in this day and age where we have things like TikTok and things like that. And all of these kind of little subject champions are going to start popping up in all of these different spaces and all of them will have, you know, t-shirts and stuff like that to sell. And I think, I think it's unavoidable, but the least we can do is kind of, kind of try and vet and pick, uh, I was going to say heroes, but not heroes, because it's, it's bad to kind of use that term for, for people. Um, we should vet the information someone brings us. And if we support their efforts, then support the efforts in, in whatever way you want. But not to name names, if you're 
on uh, YouTube with Tibetan singing bowls asking your wife to just say shit, then I, I don't think that's the way to go at the very least. <laughs> so uh, your other two points might kind of bleed into each other, Frank, because you've got how would an ET presence communicate? Would it be en masse? Would they pick individuals? Um, and also you talked about potentially presenting people who do share experiences that may have or may not have psychological issues because of or that's the reason for whatever experiences they might be having and um, hopefully later on one of the callers has a background and expertise in the in that exact field and hopefully she'll be coming on and i think she wants to talk about that side of things when it comes to abduction trauma all that kind of stuff as well so um hopefully if she manages to make it on that'll be a really interesting uh, subject to talk about too for me i like to to speculate on the, how would an et presence communicate Again, it goes. It still goes back to you talking about one ET presence. Again, if there's lots of them, they're all going to potentially do it in different ways. I would think. I, I like the the fish analogy stuff, don't I? And it's a case of you know some people talk to the fish, some people take pictures with them, some people hook them and throw them away, some people catch them, cook them, and eat them. Then it it just depends what what you're in it for. Um, um, I think it's more likely that just my opinion in general, that if you were an ET race and you were abducting people for some kind of study, it would be to study, to look over, and, and then kind of throw back necessarily without the message side of things. I would think that far more likely to be happening than let's take them on board the craft, fly them to some far off place and tell them how great things could be if we just all behaved ourselves. Because that then does go down to why that person because you you would then surely ask that person who who is the best person to talk to 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 give you this message about self destruction you know it, it doesn't make any sense to pick Alan from you know from Arkansas or or Linda from the West Bromwich in the UK or Miguel from you know from from whatever it's 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 just that one person and it's it's not to say it's not a genuine experience but if you're talking about this highly intelligent civilization wanting to give us help and spread goodwill and everything else, then they are picking the wrong people. That's that's just my opinion on that. How? Yeah, how I, think, I think. Sorry, Dan. Go ahead. Oh, we're we're both super polite. Look at that. You're, you're the guest. You go ahead. Yeah, oh, shut thank, up, Dan. That, <laughs> thank you very much. British politeness, that isn't it? Um, but yeah, it, just, it sort of makes me think, you know, like if there was a, an extraterrestrial civilization and they were they were going to reveal the presence, like how would they actually do it? Is it likely that they would, knowing kind of observing us and knowing what humans are like, when one individual human gets a lot of power, a lot of knowledge above, you know, other humans, a lot of the time they take advantage of that, etc. You know, but then again, on the other hand, if they were to just like beam the message into everyone's consciousness all at the same time, that most likely to completely disrupt the course of human civilization forever isn't it and you know it'd probably blow a lot of minds and stuff and maybe they actually they actually would kind of just give a message to a few individuals knowing that a lot of people would not take that message seriously and sort of allow the message to come out in dribs and drabs and you know part of a kind of et sort of um controlled disclosure if you like I mean, it's almost a, a a cosmic viral marketing, if you want to look at it that way. Like, I couldn't see Coca-Cola giving 100 select people throughout the planet a special bottle of Coke that they're going to put on sale but not put any billboards up for and just hope 
that the the message of their new product gets spread through goodwill and people believing these people about the product. So, um, yeah, I just again think it would be a case of that they would know or speak to people in charge. You know, not necessarily leaders of countries, but really highly influential people. Um, and that's not people with a couple of thousand podcast listeners or YouTube viewers. You know, that's that's really high-ranking spiritual leaders or potentially military leaders. If you were a top, top US or Chinese or Russian general who was literally finger-on-the-button type guy and you had some profound ET experience, that could potentially really change how you think. And I do mean taking one of them on a craft and being like abduction experience, but, you know, a friendly one to say, this is what's really happening and here's what you do and here's how it could affect everyone. Why not one of them as opposed to like abducting me? What good would that do? Humanity. I could come on here and talk about it, but it might just be sensationalism for for people to listen. So it, it it would be far more beneficial for it to be people of note that are going to get that message out there. Just for me, though, that's... But I do believe it does happen just to your to your everyday person in one way or another. Dan, you want to come in on that? Yeah, I was, I was just thinking of all those kind of whale song research documentaries I've been pouring through. Um, and I thought to myself, as you were saying that, if we suddenly deciphered whale song and we could speak to them, which whale would we choose to talk to? Would it be the biggest, the one that catches the most fish, the most socially praised? You know, there's a, there's a lot of kind of probably social parameters in that culture that we don't even consider because we just don't understand them. Um, and it might be a similar kind of thing or, you know, abductions like that might be. Um, and then when, when you were talking about the, the influential people, um, we have a lot of influential people who've, who've had experiences. Um, so I wonder if both of these things are going on. You know, Orsat was kicked off with Lakatsky seeing the kind of 45C shift in shape in the kitchen of Skinwalker Ranch. Um, you know, you could argue the Pope conversing with God is kind of talking with the phenomena. Um, I, I know a lot of people would. We, we could go back to uh, the, the Aztecs and them communing with the gods and taking their orders for, the, you know, fighting from the gods or the sacrifices from the gods. Same with Columbus kind of coming over and stuff like that. It's all, I I think both things are going on. Random people are being plucked and influential people are being nudged as well. And Frank, I was going to say, Dan, we're really short on time. I'm just going to ask Frank a very quick question to kind of round off. Yeah, sure. Um, Frank, so if Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, uh, was abducted tonight, okay, and I can hear people cheering, um, if he was abducted... (laughs) <laughs> and he had well he does yeah in this scenario he has this incredible experience okay and he's talked to by some masterful et or interdimensional race tomorrow how does that change him so i mean he he comes out and he tells some of his political allies and friends and and, and military leaders i doubt they're going to encourage him to talk about that for one reason or another and if he did go live at five o'clock tomorrow night on his covid briefing and announced to the UK and the world that he had been abducted by aliens. How is that going to sound? I don't think it would have the impact that we would hope. So again, for me, there's an abduction of a world leader, and you can give that to Merkel, Biden, Putin, whoever. I just, I just don't see necessarily right now that it would have the, the impact that folk would would hope. Would, would Frank, we need I want to give all you... of the world leaders to be abducted at the same time and then come back with the same story? Do you think that would do it? 
Nah, they just get ousted. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Frank, listen, uh, before you go, uh, what's coming up on your podcast for people? It's a UFO Thinker podcast. Uh, yeah, well, uh, next Friday, I've actually got um, an interview with um, James Iandoli, which we've actually already recorded. Uh, so that's nice. going to be that's going to be going out this uh, this this coming Friday, basically. So uh, yeah, definitely check that one out. It was a really good chat. Awesome, that's good stuff. And listen, folks, you can find UFO Thinker podcast in most of the same places you can find that UFO podcast. So make sure you give that a follow as well. Frank, good talking to you. Yeah, great to see you guys. Good chatting as always. Cheers, Cheers, mate. Frank. Cool. So next caller, we have a first-time caller and someone who only found the podcast a few weeks ago, so it's great to speak to a new listener. Uh, we've got Dustin out in North Carolina. How are you, Dustin? I'm good. How are you? Very well, very well. Um, now, you want to talk about uh, religion and how that directly relates to the phenomenon itself, so take it away. Yes, yeah, so um, I've not heard a lot brought up about religion and how that correlates with the phenomenon as we know it. And in other words, you know, how does somebody that could be a Christian or like I grew up was a kind of a strict Pentecostal type, you know, um, upbringing? How do you deal with that? But knowing also that there is clearly something that is here that is not from here and, you know, having a personal confliction with that. And I've learned how to deal with that. Um, But that's something, you know, a lot of people when I grew up, they would blow this off if I ask questions or they would say, you know, that's just visiting angels of the end time. And I, but I'm like, well, why would they always be in a ship and, you know, kind of driving around and then leave if they were angels. And I think a lot of what we understand about religion is um, biased, but I think it religion and God, like I think of it as a whole is bigger than how we understand it. And it all ties together with um, the paranormal with UAPs. But it changed who I thought of God as, and I was able to accept a lot more. But that's just, you know, tip of the iceberg with a lot of questions. Go on, Dan, I'll let you come in on that one first. That's a, that's a really interesting uh, question and set of ideas. Um, I'm similar. I, I was brought up, uh, maybe not in exactly the same way, but uh, in a, a Roman Catholic uh, school. So you know, I, I kind of share probably a few points with you. Um, a lot of religions outside of Christianity kind of have room for these other worlds, right? Um, and they're kind of all written into their myths, but but Christianity seems very humanity-focused, we'll say. Um, <clears throat> it always surprised me that the, the Vatican has its own observatory because it, it went against what I expected their approach to be, which was that, you know, it would just be focused on us as as... Uh, a race um, as humanity I mean Um, whereas the observatory seems to suggest that there are mysteries out there in the heavens that they're willing to chase Um, I don't know if you know uh, his name escapes me brother Guy Consigliano I think it is Um, he was mentioned in uh, American Cosmic and he he does a few kind of uh, lectures around uh, kind of astronomy clubs and things like that and he's from the Vatican Observatory, and he's really interested to listen to talk because he talks about exactly what you know you're getting at. How how you kind of tackle the idea of other forms of life when we're told that we're special. Um, and I think you said something at the end there that I thought, yeah, you you kind of agree with me that it takes an uh, almost a shifting of the idea of what you think of God as as opposed to this like anthropomorphic, you know, person who we say we were made in his image, but, you know, we, we kind of really humanize uh, the idea. Um, whereas 
maybe like yourself, I've kind of shifted to more of a, you know, God is a, a life force that's present throughout the universe and it kind of permeates everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's really challenging to think about, but it's the only time that I kind of get struck with the awe that the Bible tells me I should have, you know? Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. You, you made uh, another point, Dustin. I just want to come in on, uh, I'm not religious at all, never have been. Um, so it's probably easier for me in a lot of respects to to kind of look at these things and fr- from a, taking a step back. We spoke to Brandon Fugel, who owns Skinwalker Ranch, and he's uh, is it more, uh, not Mormon. Yeah, Dan? Well, Utah's I'm, pretty yeah. nice. He can't be Mormon. I, I'm trying to remember. Is Brandon Fugel Mormon? Uh, <laughs> oh, no, Church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's the one. That's it. That's yes. One. And and he said he's been raised in a lot of the, the background of that faith, as he told us, allows for discussion of other beings and other entities and other worlds. And so that's been a really easy thing for him to, to comprehend and understand the phenomenon that might be going on around Skinwalker Ranch and worldwide. You make an interesting point about, you know, when you hear of angels in the Bible or any holy book go, that go back more than 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years, then right. is, it, is it just an interpretation of the time? Because you would like to think we are culturally and of a mindset now where we're more we're more aware. I don't want to say we're, we're more intelligent because that's not necessarily the case, but you know, we're, we're more aware of the world around us and we can have bigger conversations and, you know, the, the world's a smaller place than it was, you know, even 20 years ago, let alone 2000 years ago. So if you saw s- something coming from the sky, then you would naturally assume you, you've got no, there, there were no cars, there were no buses, there were no modes of transport as such. So, you know, a, a saucer or tic-tac or whatever coming from the sky would just be totally incredible and unimaginable. Um, yeah, it would be magic. That's it. Yeah, like looking at an iPhone 100 years ago would be magic. Um, and I just wonder, angels and demons, heaven and hell, is it just a case of it's it's a reflection of the time and it was that interpretation? Um, and that's not to say that, do you know what, in, in 2,000 years, is it possible that the way we talk about the phenomenon, just say we don't get the disclosure we're looking for in our lifetimes, but the conversation continues to change and evolve in 2,000 years, are we talking about something else that is akin to the phenomenon or angels and demons, but in a totally different way, just because of something that happened? I think you've had both. I think that we've had disclosure, and I think you're right about what you just said as well. It's, it's, it's an interesting take on it. Dan, I mean, what are your thoughts of when you, you hear about or read about people saying angels or devils, demons? A lot of the descriptions and depictions sound like a lot of these alien entities, don't they? Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, I, I don't know if any of you guys have, have Netflix. There was a documentary popped up a few weeks back called The Fantastic Fungi. Um and it's all about um, this guy, about Paul Stamets, and he, he investigates kind of how mycelium uh, connects trees and kind of they, they talk to each other and feed each other and stuff like that. It's, it's really amazing. But um, <clears throat> he discusses an idea where basically the, the burning bush was a kind of a, a psychedelic plant, basically, um, and that it, the experience would kind of share characteristics with some of these experiences. So when we're talking about, you know, wheels within wheels covered in eyes, that's very reminiscent of these 
shapes and you know the geometric shapes and being seen when people do take these experiences that are very connected with nature and go back thousands and thousands of years for me that that's a really intriguing point because way back when this kind of the idea of having these invisible beings in the world wasn't a strange thing to talk about you know you you try to appease the weather for a good harvest or you try to not anger the god of wind or whatever and and work with nature um and it makes me wonder whether they kind of they were close to a truth of how the world works in that you know there's more of a balance and a system there um and that these experiences could be a part of that system that we've overlooked well, I mean, also look back at the like pictographs and the caves and all these drawings. If you ever watch Ancient Aliens, I mean, uh, ancestors have stories of these people, the star people and so forth, the Native Americans. I mean, it's something that's been with us since the dawn of, as we know, humankind. And I don't know, they were probably shocked by things that they saw, but they had a lot more reverence, I would say, towards that and considered it more holy. So I guess in some people's eyes, that could have been, you know, their gods. And they talk about their knowledge coming from the star people. And you look at things that were made hundreds of thousands of years ago that, that we can't produce, I think, with machinery. And, I mean, people didn't just come up with these ideas because, I mean, you would have to relate that to something that you saw, you know. Um, so that kind of confounds me as well. Justin, uh, we'll have to leave it there because that's about time. But listen, that's a really good call, some really good points. And uh, we'll have to do a whole probably religion and the phenomenon call in one night because I think there's, there'll be a lot of listeners who who have different backgrounds, different beliefs, and I'm sure they could all share similar kind of thoughts and ideas too. So listen, have to call again next time. That was really good. Yeah, yeah thank no, you, man. You. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Dustin. Pleasure. All right, you too. Next up, we have DJ San Marco from the Life MMA and NBA podcast. DJ interviewed me a while ago, so check that one out. Make sure you've subscribed, liked, and followed it on whichever podcast platform you're on. But DJ, welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. How are you? Very well. I can see Dan frantically making his notes. (laughs) (laughs) Dan's already got out his broadsword. He's going to look like Uhtred of Bevenberg and run me through him. Wow, there's a niche reference if I've ever heard one. Um, Listen, DJ, uh, you want to talk about people's kind of go-to mechanisms, you know, when it comes to conspiracies. Uh, Take it away. You'll say it best yourself. Okay, so uh, basically what I came up with, uh, what I thought this uh, was listening to people that I like. I like and respect really mostly everybody in the community, sans a few. Uh, and I definitely like uh, Mike Mataluni. I definitely like Stephen Greenstreet. And these dudes have brought uh, attention, uh, particularly Mr. Greenstreet, have brought attention to the community. So I want to know why is it, it or is it an internal safety mechanism, in your opinion, the both of you, that uh, some in our community go to, and they're not the only ones, uh, the Air Force UFI, UF, uh, OSI guy Walter was one of them who uh, said this would be a perfect uh, disinformation campaign. If were he to create one, he would do something like what's going on now. So is it, is it a safety mechanism uh, to, to concoct a conspiracy theory to explain away what people have been seeing, even in the face of overwhelming evidence that by the way, is not just seen in the United States, unless these things are flying around the world via the U S government. So, uh, and for many years, by the way, 
or you also have to take uh, into account um, the fact that uh, the technology that's that's being used and was being used many years ago before, uh, like someone talked about a CIA fly that was a drone. And so in the 70s, so I, I heard that on podcast. So I think that was also on UCR. And I'm like, a fly? I'm like, transistor technology back then. How the hell, how did you make a motor small enough to be a fly that could actually buzz around uh, and fly, you know, with a radio remote control with a big antenna sticking out of it? I mean, it's just ridiculous. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's what I want to know in the second part. I've already said uh, is about uh, why do you care what if uh, more evidence comes out to prove it to people like Mick West. But let's let's start with the first one, please. Cool. Yeah. So f- first part, do you know what? When it comes to conspiracy theories, I think that there's a lot of truth to a lot of them. There's some absolutely crazy ones that are just kind of fun to listen to or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's been a perfect kind of storm the way conspiracy theories so not the way they've they've panned out but how society has evolved to allow them to have went the way they did because when especially when we talk about ufos it didn't start in the late 40s but that's when things kind of came to prominence with roswell and all that kind of stuff we don't need to go on about that and then over the years we had no social media we had local news but then local news came to be like national news so again, you had like not just individual states or your individual like kind of parts of different countries. You found out about the whole country, and then national news turned into international news, where you started to hear about other countries, and then you started to hear more and more to the point where we've got now social media, where you can literally hear and see any news happening anywhere live at any time. I remember a couple of years ago, Sky News could boast that they could have a camera. A news camera anywhere on the planet within three minutes. Whoa! Due to not just their own equipment, but affiliations and things like that as well. Stringers. So if something, yeah, if something happened anywhere on the planet within three minutes, they could be broadcasting live in some way, shape, or form, which is pretty incredible. But what you have now is everyone's got a camera, everyone's got a phone, everyone's got access to a platform and a number of followers or their Facebook or a Twitch stream that can get shared. You know, someone can have like two people on a on a twitter account but because they're in the middle of some uprising and you know whatever they are in the world they could literally have thousands of followers all watching <laughs> at the same time and i think that's just led to the fact that when for example the ufo the world of ufos started growing it was just bits of information that came out in books or magazines or, you know, local meetups. You know, you, you would have a group in Florida where 15 people would have an interest in UFOs and they would meet up every other Sunday to mm-hmm. talk about it. And that's and it would be hearsay and speculation. Whereas now what you have is these groups are bigger because they're all virtually, they're all social media. It's all, everyone's got access to all the information. Mm-hmm. So for me that there's just so much out there it's just allowed the fact that people just have an opinion on everything now which never used to be the case so when it comes to conspiracy theories they've they've allowed to develop and evolve that i think people in positions of power or the people who let's just say there is a group in the u.s government just for talking sake who sit in a room and they've got all the ufo stuff with them they've got all the files as people like to go you know the government have all the files and they have all the information then they would just allow it to happen the way it's happened because who do you believe now? 
we've just uh, had I, we've just had one of the most famous people on the planet. You know, your former president Trump, who showed in a big scale what politicians have always done. Politicians have always lied at every level, mm-hmm. but it's just how do you work out and figure out what the lies are and what the truth is? And you just have to believe what you want to believe. And that's just what's happened now worldwide. So I think it's it's been perfect for people who need conspiracy theories to hide the truth. Because okay. what do you believe? What don't you believe? Um, that's just, I hope I, I probably worded that badly, but. No, that's okay. It's okay. But did, does it. If if they say that it's a grand U.S. government conspiracy, how does that explain Zimbabwe? Or is nobody there credible? Australia is no one there credible. South America, uh, the military folks that were interviewed down there with their uh, their experience is are they not credible? So even if you believe, even if it only happened within the borders of the United States and its nearby international waters, then how does that explain the rest of the world? Dan. I, yeah, I mean, I, I largely agree with, with both of you guys. Uh, I don't think there was ever a danger I wasn't going to there. Um, <laughs> you know, the the government in the past, they have they've done some shady things. You know, we have stuff like MKUltra. We have stuff like the WMDs with Iraq. You know, the, the list could go on and on and on and on and on. Um, and the truth is, all of those situations were all very, very complex situations. And inevitably, when you go read about them, there are a lot less kind of black and white than than you might think at first glance you know everything everyone in those moments thought they were all making the the right decisions um and andy come and i come back to this a lot you know the government is is not just the government and there aren't a pile of d files you, you know it's it's a very spread out operation with just humans kind of running the shop and and i think the truth is that life is just is complex and conspiracy theories make it simpler for people uh, okay. There's that great saying, you know, the light can travel halfway around the world before the truth can get its pants on. Um, and, and I think that's true. You know, the simple things are easier to grasp quickly, so they travel faster. And a big part of that is this kind of age of information and kind of, you, you know, without we, we could get into discussing, you know, the education system and how we're not really arming people properly to kind of understand the news that's being presented to them in the language of the media that we're now faced with. But I think this this uh, moment kind of proves that trust needs to be built again between people and its institutions. Um, and this again, this moment in the UFO subject is such an opportunity that we we can use it to kind of grow that trust again. Whether they go into or whether they're going to still present Susan Go and a talking points Go Goff. Um, you know, I, I, for for me, my my eyes stay on the UAPTF inside the Pentagon. Um, they they seem to be the people trying to get the ball moving, and I I support that, and I try and understand that. You know, even even Susan Goff is is doing a job that she was hired to do, and God damn it, she's effective at it. You know, and mm-hmm. so. Um, but you're right; it's a worldwide phenomenon. It's decades old. The, this it. It may have been exploited as a as a distraction measure in the past, but the UFO phenomena is is not just a, a psyop or anything like that. And yeah. I, I want to mention on that as well. Like we've only got a minute left, but like if you look at social media, how many people now on on Facebook or Twitter or, or whatever see a couple of lines or a couple of words from a story, and they make up their whole decision based on the 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 tagline and the clickbait and mm-hmm. you can read any thread underneath an article and it could literally say something like you um uh, 
US is going to bomb China, but no one will read the article. And the article itself could be hypothetically, or this is totally made up, this is BS, da, da, da. but people haven't read that. What they've done is just off that one line, they'll start to make their comments. And I've probably picked a bad example. But that's what it's like now where you'll, you'll see people saying, have you read the article? Have you actually read the information? People don't want to. It's just like, that's enough. Bang, I've made my mind up. And it can just take that little bit of information and just skew it in a thousand different ways. And that's where so many conspiracy theories are probably, you know, bred from in the first place. That well, one little bit of information just went a thousand different directions from different people. Well, and the guys that we reference are guys that are very well read on the topic. And that's why I'm wondering, I think like what Dan said, it makes, there's a certain, there's probably some people, certainly a lot, a lot of people that fall in the category you just mentioned, but the others, Dan said, uh, it, it makes them feel comfortable. They can say, okay, I can explain this away by this and now I'm safe and I feel good. But can I ask the last question? Because I didn't yield the balance of my time, Senator, to the Senator from Scotland. I didn't. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I, I know you want to ask this to Dan because DJ, we spoke last night on the phone. That's a peek behind the actor's curtain. And I know we were having a chat about what you're going to ask him. And uh, it was something you wanted to direct to him as well. So go for it. Okay, so Dan, we talked about, do you want to get a new, a whole new sort of uh, Navy video or something that, that's really interesting that they've released? Or do you want more data on the Tic Tac? And the only thing I would have to say to that is, um, certain types of data could be released that a lot of people, including myself, might not even be able to process depending, depending on what form it's released in. Uh, if it's sensor video, okay, then I might be able to process it, you know, or, or get someone who even knows more than I do. But the, the question really is, is why do you care if, if, you know, you mentioned that you want to be able to present to people, see, here's irrefutable evidence. You have to understand the mind of Mick there's never, there's no such thing as irrefutable evidence. He's always going to pick the part and find something to disagree with because that's where he comes from. So why do you care what he thinks? I don't care what he thinks. That's or a, he that's, believes. That's a really good point. Um, and I don't think it's that Mick himself is necessarily important to convince. I think I see him as a kind of low-hanging fruit that once we kind of sweep him up in this wave, that there will be no more, you know, dissenters because he he will literally pick apart everything just for the sake of it. So if we convince him, then there's not a person on this planet who hasn't convinced, you know, I kind of mean it in that way. Um, Mick's an interesting one because it's almost like a feedback loop, right? We keep talking about him. So more people find out about him, then they go read his book. Mm -hmm. And then they think that, he knows what he's talking about when quite frankly as a uh, as avi loeb said he is the scientist not mick west we should be looking to people like avi and people who are working with him on things like project galileo and gathering that data and sharing it with the public you know mick is no no better or worse than than us sat here right now and i think we'd all admit that you, you know we're, we're not part of project galileo because we don't have those degrees and the necessary uh, expertise to kind of contribute um so yeah, like Mick represents the low hanging fruit, but I don't think it's him in and of himself who, who's important. Um, not a scientist. I pro probably I'd liken him to the candy man. The more we say his name, the more power we give him. It, DJ, you've got, you've got 10 seconds to come back that, on that. That's it. No, I agree. Uh, the more we talk about him, the more powerful he gets. You got a guy who's looking at a 41 second video that feels empowered to tell Chad Underwood 
a, an instructor evaluator in an F-A-18 fighter aircraft, he made mistakes. It's DJ, like you have listen, no qualification to say that, brother. Sorry, uh, mate. You know I'm with you on that as well. Great call. Really good point, DJ. Uh, we'll, Peace, I'll brothers. be back on your podcast soon as well. So thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, guys. I Love appreciate that. it. Thanks, DJ. Cheers. Next up, we're going to another first-time caller. We've got Justin in Canada. Justin, how are you doing? Good, Andy. I and uh, Dan's here on the call. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate what you do and uh, what you do for your audience, giving uh, average Joes like me a chance to talk. So thank you. We appreciate average Joes listening to average Joes <laughs> who, want, <laughs> who want to talk about this. So thanks very much. Um, listen, you've got a couple of points. The first one is on the Mystery Wire's recent video on Summoners and then a little bit on the Richard Dolan leak. So what do you want to talk about first, the Summoners video? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's uh, dive into that. So um, for people listening, I'm not really, I'm more into the the physical hard crafts, if uh, in a general sense in UFOs, but Mystery Wire um, posted this um, short video and then it was followed by a longer interview with the actual summoners um, they're being called. Um, I just feel like it wasn't discussed Um that much and i didn't really see it on ufo twitter lou really hasn't mentioned too much about ce5 just all the key names really aren't touching on that video and the video is just essentially a home video of these orbs in the sky that i don't think the video has been doctored in any way or anything like that i've watched it like a hundred times but it's very very interesting and a guy who's not really into ce5 um i really want to bring this up on the show and just get your you and dan's um you know, kind of honest opinion. If you've seen the video, it's or the interviews followed up by that. So I have listened to the interviews, but I've not watched the video. I just jumped onto YouTube and checked right then. Um, you might have seen me go manic on the camera, um, <laughs> but it shows that I haven't played the video. So I'll have to watch that uh, after our conversation. But videos like this, you know, there are a lot of people out there that speak about someone in CE5 and kind of, you know, just making contact through intention and things like that. There, there are a lot of different terms for it. Um, and I've spoken about some of the experiences that I've had in the past, and I know I know it's a con controversial practice. Um, but this kind of stuff, in the back of my mind, when I partake in it, I wonder, part of me wonders what it is that we're kind of playing with, because we don't really understand what it is. And, and I get this feeling that similar to kind of like a, a lantern fish where we're seeing something that's out in front, but isn't necessarily completely representative of the, the nuts and bolts phenomena, should we say, it might even be a completely different thing entirely. We, we, we right. just don't know. Um, right. But it is interesting to, to kind of practice. Um, and I, I've had success and continue to have success with it, but I'd really love to kind of set up cameras and, you know, a decent amount of cameras with, with good zoom lenses, because the last thing I want to do is create a video that it, you know, could be just a blurry star, like tends to happen when people say they've summoned craft and they kind of come overhead. Right. Um, so I kind of understand some of the controversy around it, especially with, like I said, I haven't seen the video, but probably what the video will be. Uh, on the Mystery Wire website, but I implore people to kind of keep looking into it because based on my own experiences, it's it's real and I don't quite know what to make of it. And it would be great if there were more people tackling this issue. Right. Okay. I appreciate the honest answer. I, I've, I've checked out the video. 
Um, and again, partly you've got the what starts off as the blob in the sky, but it's so high up the quality of camera they're using, it's, it's really pixelated, but then you can kind of make out some some small lights coming off of a main blob. Um, and then it's almost triangular at one point, but then it, it, there's lots of lights. But then they've got another video, which seems to be more of a, a solid craft type. Um, it's like circular orange lights. If, if Dan's right. looking now, it's about 15, 16 minutes into the video. Um, that's 33 minutes long to help him out. <laughs> um, it's that, a four-minute video, just to note. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's, that stuff to me, is, that's quite interesting. I've talked in, in the past before about it's not that I don't believe, but the, the non-physical stuff can be really difficult to discuss because there are so often it could just be, let's say it's not CGI, that it could be light. Obviously, what's happening in that video, uh, if it's not CGI, then it's pretty interesting um, for the first part anyway, given you've got one clear object with smaller objects coming off of it. But then you've got the what's clearly more of a physical looking craft than the, the second part right and, and again if the, the thing with the summoning aspect of the phenomenon to me is still like i put to, to stephen greer's documentary director uh mike mike mazzola you know why doesn't he just go to the white house with a news crew because you will get crews who would volunteer to do it just for the story and sensationalism and right. offer to to summon some stuff in a very public place because surely that would help the whole argument. It's like when Tom Cruise declared as part of Scientology, he had gotten to a level where he could levitate. If Tom Cruise would come out on live TV and show me he can levitate, I will go and join Scientology right now. Right, yeah. But he yep. doesn't. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, just as an average Joe, I, I got into like this topic slowly. It just honestly, through the Joe Rogan podcast. And as an average Joe, I try and look at it uh, with an unbiased view. I'm not totally against the CE5. I'm just want to dip my toes in, you know, where it's warm, not cold, like where I can get some more. Because that, for George Knapp to post it, uh, you know, a man of his, um, he likes to have his ducks in a row, you know, especially yeah. with the uh, his history with Bob Lazari you would want to have your ducks in a row just to try and tell uh get a real story out in a true fashion so i i just want to pick your sorry i know you're strapped for time you got a busy night um my next one i want to discuss was um richard dolan's video that he put out um just over a month ago um shortly after the uap uh june 25 report came out and so it's a really good video. He's a really articulate speaker, and I really like um, listening to him. He's another guy who likes to uh, dot his I's and cross his T's. So when he mentioned it's um, about halfway through, um, a, a secret source sent um, something to Richard Dolan's um, trusted source, which he didn't mention, um, yeah. some some information that was in the classified portion of the UAP report, if I'm summarizing that correctly. And within it, he goes through five or six different propulsion systems that are really, really interesting with, um, you know, three letter names and stuff like that. And then shortly after that, he reads a paragraph about um, something called advanced group six, which, I mean, your mind can wander forever on what, what that means. And I don't know, I just, you know, George Knapp, um, Richard Dolan, just 
these are such credible guys that haven't, to me, um, haven't really told too many fibs, if any, or tried to fudge anything from what it looks like on the internet and what they put out. So what I just wanted um, to know if you guys have um, your thoughts on that video, really. I um, commented on it at the time we'd done a, a news pod and I, I was watching the full um, Richard Dolan uh, update at the time. Um, not a whole lot more that I've seen came out about it since. When it comes to the, the whole leaking of the classified section of that report, there's been nothing I've seen online that has leaked that anyone has managed to firmly follow up and say that leak is legitimate or credible. It just seems to be certain things have or haven't leaked. And it's just take your pick as to what you want to believe. I don't know, Dan, is that is that about right so far? There's nothing that we've been able to say that is definitely from the classified section. Yeah, exactly. It, it kind of, Richard spoke about it in the video. You know, he was very open. He, he didn't present it as definite. He presented it as something that he'd only just got and didn't have time to vet. But like you say, it was from a trusted source. Um, and we, we know some of the people that he refers to as trusted sources, uh, uh, people like, you know, Hal Putoff and Eric Davis and, and people like that, you know, he, he spoke to all, speaks to all of the, the big hitters, we'll say. Um, and it was, it was an intriguing part because it basically kind of said, yes, we have all this incredible technology that the UFO community has been talking about for years but we only fly it within the Nellis tests and training range. Um, kind of kind of a ufologist wet dream right there, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's just such a big bomb to talk about for a guy of Richard Dolan's status, just to mention it and then have nothing, no follow-up of it. That, that's why it's just on my mind. Yeah, it, it would be nice if we could get some confirmation, but I guess the trouble is that if it is in the classified section, then whoever talks about it is going to end up in a handcuffs i guess <laughs> yeah yeah i guess yeah yeah it was, um, one, it was one of those for me where it's it's not too good to be true but it's incredibly fascinating that that piece would come out and again it goes back to how did it get out should it have come out was it deliberately leaked or not um you're, you're putting a lot of faith in you, you personally justin and, and richard dolan being who he is and what he's broken in the past that's not to say he's not infallible and it wasn't passed on to him. And ju just to play devil's advocate, if I uh, put out a, a breaking news podcast and declared I had some new information that was potentially leaked from the classified report, it would get a lot of downloads and a lot of listens. But I, I'd just be putting out there for that reason. You, you can't really quantify it. So you, you would really need Richard Dolan to kind of shore it up a little bit more and and kind of give a bit more context as to how concrete it is. And it's now been, what, a month since they've done that, maybe more. And we've not yeah. heard any more on it. So personally, I'd like to to hear a bit more. Um, he's, he's part of the upcoming Making Convergence contact uh, virtual expo. Maybe he'll talk a little bit more on it on that. But I would like to hear him kind of just, he's not going to tell us his sources because that's not what happens. But I just need to hear a little bit more of a follow-up on it because he came out with it. And you would like to think, like you say, he, he's done his homework to to know that, do you know what, there's something to this? Because like Dan said, it's a pretty incredible piece of text if it's if it's even partly legitimate, because I believe the word extraterrestrial was on there, wasn't it? Yeah, they use the uh, they use ET um, in a bracket, which yeah. is really, really interesting. Whoever sent it to him. 
Absolutely. Um, listen, really good call, Justin. Thank you very much. Uh, and also, Justin on Twitter uh, does some really cool drawings. If you want to give out your Twitter handle. Uh, yes. Uh, thanks so much for the acknowledgement and the retweets and the support and the love. Um, my, I, I am on Twitter. It's at Ziminin, Z-I-M-M-I-N-I-N. Um, it's just my video game name. I just thought I'd throw it up there on Twitter. And um, But now I have my website linked to it. Um, no, I'm just uh, happy to be here. And congrats on the BBC interview that's uh, upcoming, or I'm not sure if it's recorded yet, but congratulations on that. Um, Dan, um, when you're not on mute, I absolutely love you chiming in and um, you're an excellent co-host. Thanks so much for having Thank me. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, really, really lovely to, to talk and, and that was a really stimulating conversation. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Justin. Thanks. Next up, we go on to regular caller, Dave. Dave, how are we doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine. How are you guys doing? You okay? I'm doing very well. And uh, Dave's got a fancy new headset uh, that oh, he's yes. got just off the back of the last time when he called up and he, he wanted it. He <laughs> sound good for, for all the callers out there. So <laughs> yeah. appreciate it, Dave. Um, listen, Dave, you want to talk about Ross Kultark's new book. Um, obviously, I'm going to be speaking to Ross. Just to remind listeners, that's been delayed about a month because Ross done a ton of interviews very quickly back to back to back. And I know everyone was reaching out saying, please make sure he talks about some different stuff, some new stuff. His interviews have been great, but when you start to listen to a few of them, they can get a little repetitive. That's just natural with anyone. Um, and Ross has said to me that, one, the book goes out in some different countries in a month, a month's time. And also he's hoping to have some follow-up and some new information by that point as well. So hopefully the interview is a bit fresher. But uh, Dave, you've read the book. Um, what were your thoughts on it, first of all? Yeah, well, I, I, I got the audio book, which was really good, actually. Uh, I mean, such a change in tech now, you know, how yeah, we can get books and stuff. Mm. But basically, I thought it was really good. The guy's such a significant journalist. I heard of him anyway. And uh, he's a class act. He's well-connected to the top, top tier international journalists. So I thought, well, this he's a guy to be reckoned with. Obviously, other journalists are talking to him. And he basically come away with some pretty mega takeaways, I thought. I mean, the first and most smallest one, I suppose, is UAPs are real, which is massive in itself. He sort of implied pretty clearly he thought there was a cover-up since the 40s at least. Uh, he identified the U.S. Air Force as key players in the cover-up. I mean, this was pretty clear statements he was making. I don't want to put words in the guy's mouth, but he wasn't, because I've listened to loads of the interviews like you have as well. Uh, the, the other one interesting thing that come up to me, were, were, he said uh, he thought that they had crash materials and he had this idea of laundering some of the metamaterials through TTSA, which was really interesting. So he thought that the army might take some crap off Linda Moulton Hour or something like that and replace it with some actual real stuff. But I thought I was quite interested in that, actually. But all respect to Linda, of course, I'm sure it's just an example, really. One other thing that he talked upon was, I think that uh, Lou's motivation for disclosure is potentially that there's so much compartmentalization within the SAPs, he may well be worried but the Chinese and Russians can get a technical advantage because their governments, because they're totalitarian regimes, can collaborate much easier than maybe the, the, the US government can. Uh, so, so that, to me, was pretty big. He was speculating about that in the interviews as well as in the book, more in the interviews, in fairness. Wilson docks are real, which is, again, mental, if that's true at the end, even if you don't believe that they haven't done anything with the stuff. And, and finally... Uh, he certainly seems to believe there is 
they have got some materials in the possession. And the very final thing is one I veer all the time between is have they got an ARV or not? He sort of hints it at the start of his book. There may be an American sort of triangle they've engineered. And what I wanted to ask you two guys, apart from all that, is whether you think, have your views changed on whether there is an ARV or if there's any chance of it, the likelihood of it? What do you think? And so that's a load of stuff, and I shall let you guys sort it. So first up, I want to ask you a question on that, Dave, right? You've yeah. made a lot of the, the statements from what Ross has got in his book. Why are you, and I'll lump everyone in this, just curious, why do you think you're putting so much faith in Ross Coulthard's work and what he's coming out with? Because let me ask, honestly, did you know who, did you know who Ross Coulthard was six months ago? Yeah, I had heard of him before just because I'd seen him on Aussie. That's just, just fortunate, though, because I, I recognise him from something else because he's done a few sort of exposés. He did something on the intelligence stuff as well. Mm-hmm. I only sort of knew about him. I didn't know much about him. Okay. But I did know. Uh, but the rain, and you, that's an interesting point, thinking about it. But I did, I think he's a top-tier journalist. He's well-recommended. He's got standards of journalism. He's obviously got a lot of sources as well, if you listen to him talk. And he sounds credible. So that's why I'm putting a lot of faith in it. I suppose because he's got that implied stamp of approval from what you'd say is the media, which the fourth estate, we have to take the certain reasons why we listen to them and believe them in terms of unattributed sources. A bit like the Tim McMillan thing. You know, they've got a good pedigree. They use an unattributed source. If it was politics, you'd take the evidence they bring in. But when it, so that's why I believe him. But that's a, it's a good question, actually. I suppose I've not a great devotee of his work. Oh, you knew loads about him. So yeah, uh, but that's why because he's a top, he's a top tier journalist and he's a member of uh, that journalistic group as well. You know, the international journalists. Yeah, uh, I no, think it's just important. That's fair. I was just curious because it is, it is one I was thinking about recently that I would ask Ross himself that he's he's kind of come out of nowhere in a lot of respects. He's he's got a book which is hopefully making him some money um it makes a lot of really you know incredible claims i i would say there's a lot in there that isn't necessarily things we haven't heard of from other people before but ross seems to have put it together and done his background work and his research and you you use the word implied credibility there which is which is interesting um he does he speaks incredibly well and he seems uh an honest man and um, he does a lot of good work in, in his journalistic career. So I'm just curious because he's, he's one of these people that the, the, the community of people involved that are interested in UFOs or UAPs seem to have embraced him with open arms. Um, no questions asked. And I, I just find that really interesting. Well, um, I'll back that back to you then, Andy. If, uh, if you think about the show and where you go with stuff, I'd say, there's some sources that we or we as a community, whatever you want to call it, would trust more and the arguments are based on these guys are credible, these people are credible, this woman's credible. And we sort of, and it's probably just in my head thinking about it, but there's certain people you would seem to trust more than others. And how far does Ross fit that criteria that you normally use then? That's an interesting one. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, should start a podcast. So for me, the I would put them... As good as as any other journalist, I I really do rate Tim McMillan and and George Knapp just on the track record. For me, Ross doesn't have that track record when it comes to UFOs or UAPs yet. He's yeah. he's kind of started fast, 
Um, but right now, there's no reason to doubt him. Um, he, he put a good piece together, or the documentary, um, that's available now on YouTube. So anyone who hasn't seen it yet can watch it on YouTube. Um, is that tonight or tomorrow, Dan? Or is it, is it out everywhere now? Because it had staggered release times, didn't it? Yeah, it was staggered. Bear with me. Uh, carry on what you were saying. Yeah, cool. That, that, that'd be great, Dan. Um, just so people can kind of watch that because it's really is, is worth watching the whole piece itself. Um, but no, I I, I rate him. Um, I've not managed to speak to him yet myself, which just just personally, I, I'm fortunate to do that with a lot of guests. And I'll, I'll have a bit more of a clearer picture, I think, once I've spoke to him, kind of virtually face-to-face. Um, but he seems like a, an honest guy who's, who's done some serious legwork and background work in this as well. So, yeah, that's that's my take on it. But um, I want to also talk about, you, you've asked there, do I think that the US government has uh, ARVs or, you know, recovered vehicles? You know, basically you're asking, with, for all intents and purposes, have they got crashed ET vehicle? craft flying saucer tic tac whatever it may be um yeah i i think they do um i think there's a lot of bob lazar story that is true i've said that before um i lou has pretty much said as much you know lou elizondo has said that they've, they've got crashed material he's i want to say without paraphrasing dan that lou elizondo's more or less said that he believes they've got a craft was that not the question he was asked once? Yeah, yeah. Crash retrievals. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. Just emphasis, he emphasised, he believes. Yeah. Uh, and whether that's coming from, he's heard from a really credible source himself or, you know, he's spoken to someone who's told him, Lou, I could tell you where the craft are. It could just be as, as much as that. Or maybe, maybe Lou's seen it. We don't know. That's the thing, and we're not going to find that out anytime soon. I, I, I doubt. So, um, Dan, what, what are your thoughts on any governments having crashed craft, or gifted craft, or archaeologically uncovered craft, pilfered craft, um, <laughs> Le- least craft? Yeah. <laughs> I think probably. You, you know, we we know <clears throat> the this subject has a long history with a lot of crash retrievals or gifted things or, you know, Trojan horses, some might say. And and I think people have different ideas of what an ARV could be. Um, you, you know, we don't need to wholesale replicate one exactly um, to be able to to say, you know, that's an ARV. We, we could just take 1% of the technology from it. And technically the thing that we're making is an ARV because it's based on that technology. Um, and I, I think something like that would be more probable as well, purely because you, when when you think of how we build, say, an F-18, it's built for a human to be in there. You know, every system in there is built for a human. And if anything else went in there, it would be like, well, this doesn't fit, right? I can't reach this. This doesn't, you know, it, it just wouldn't work. Um, and we'd probably find the same stuff with craft from elsewhere as well. You know, it just, it wouldn't fit us, you know, it, it would be clothes made for just another species essentially, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think there'll be certain aspects of it um, that will be successfully kind of translated into different craft, whether that be an actual piece of technology or just, you know, maybe, maybe the craft kind of, gave them an idea of, oh, hey, you can operate these through consciousness and now we have Neuralink. You know, it, it doesn't have to be necessarily a direct ascendant. 
it, it can kind of be influenced. Yeah. Um, and that's funny because we spoke about influence earlier as well with another caller um, of, of how you kind of get this out into the open. And we, we surmised that, you know, you, you could, you could do it very, very subtly in this kind of way. Um, in terms of Ross and his book, I, I'm only about, I would say about 50 pages in, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, Ross, I followed, I want to say a year or so back, um, because I can't remember where I saw it, but someone was speaking about the fact that he was writing a book and I just thought, who's this guy? So I kind of, you know, initially you jump on Amazon and just chuck the name in and see what comes up and have a read of what books they've written and stuff like that. And he, he seems to be a really, really reputable journalist. Um, he, he really, really goes out of his way to do the legwork. And that's reflected, I think, you know, we, we hold 60 Minutes in high regard and Ross is the guy from 60 Minutes Australia. So, you know, dude, dude has a lot of weight, I think, when he comes into this fresh-faced and kind of points out, yep, Wilson Ducks are real, yep, TTSA had metamaterials, yep. You know, when he kind of goes through this list, it's it's kind of crazy to see it all looked at with fresh eyes like that because it, it hits home just how big this all is um ross spoke about on i think it was on Vinny's podcast disclosure team he spoke about uh ning li uh being a scientist that defected to china i'm not sure if he names her in the book yeah. um he's on but, old ufo joe as well he yes. mentioned that yeah sorry dan sorry, mate. so yeah no i, I was just going to say I'm, I'm really interested to hear more of that because the, that's kind of the secret story that's been going on in the shadows right is different places trying to recruit to kind of get different bits of yeah. knowledge to work on this technology and get the advantage. Um, this is probably, or that's probably the story. I think that in the coming years, we'll start pouring out that, you know, even if it's for 10 years, they've been working on it for 10 years and they'll probably have incredible stuff to share with us. Dave, Did just, you... just to wrap up, sorry, Dave, sorry, so I'm going to run out of time. No, that's yeah, okay. I want to ask you two questions. Yes or no. That's all you've got. Um, one, Dave, does the U S government or, any affiliated groups have a crashed ET craft? Yes. Does the UK government? Yes. Interesting. Cool. Dave, as always, thank you very much for the call. Yes. And with that, Dave, we're also losing Dan at this point of the call, and you're the last oh one. Oh, my God, no. Dan. Yes, he, he's going. Yeah, I've had uh, enough now, Dave. Is that Thanks. enough? Yeah. <laughs> no, I love you. <laughs> no, and, and talk to you, Dan, as well, mate. To, to all the callers, uh, still, we've got a few more calls to go. Um, we've got very popular Nathan coming up, and hopefully one more after that. But uh, Dan said to me he had better things to do than talk to all of you, and that's why he's heading off. That was it. Going so. for a campfire under the stars. Yeah, so better things to do than speak to all of you. That's <laughs> what he said. But Dan, thanks very much for joining us. Dave, always a pleasure, mate. Yes. And speak to you again soon. See you. Cheers, guys. Moving swiftly on, we have ever popular caller Nathan. Nathan, thanks for joining us. Andy, good to be with you again. Yeah, very good to be with you. You're you're getting a name for yourself out there as well. Again, you were on with DJ from Life MMA and NBA, who was himself was a caller earlier on the podcast as well. Oh, nice. That's great. Yeah, DJ is amazing. Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. Um, so listen, Nathan, uh, you were just saying there you want to have a little chat about you know the lull we're in in terms of news and where we're at with things uh, and the when i spoke to james fox i asked him about what does disclosure mean to him and he had commented that he isn't sure we're ever going to get the disclosure we're looking for and, and that kind of resonated with yourself yeah yeah exactly when i was listening to that chat uh, i was in the car and i just sort of nodded along with that and and it's it, it, and a lot of mixed feelings with 
uh, that statement, right? I think everyone who's studied this long enough goes through uh, sort of a cycle of emotions with this topic and that yeah. you think you're going to get it, think we're going to get some good knowledge, we're going to really understand what's going on, and then you feel like we know nothing. And I've come back to that place where we may know nothing, we may never know anything. And if you look at the history of uh, of, the, of this phenomenon, there, there doesn't really seem to be a consistent, clear kind of narrative uh, there doesn't even be, seem to be a consistent way of interacting with the phenomena, uh, or, or the technology isn't very consistent either. Other than, other than it does fantastical things that we don't understand, uh, but th- but the objects uh, can be, uh, you know, like physical craft. They could be orbs. They could be some sort of angelic-looking beings. I mean, there's just a whole spectrum of things, and that makes me uh, sort of come to this place where thinking of we may never really get our our hands around this we may never really fully understand it i mean taking a step back do you think we are in a place where we know more now than ever before or is it just the same information that's potentially been kind of repackaged and recycled yeah it's a good question I, i feel as if our our science seems to have have a confidence or greater confidence that some of the things which we have observed can potentially now be explained, uh, or we have good theories by which how they how they may operate. But it, even so, it still falls in sort of that category of just outside of our our, our reach, and that, that that's interesting. That it it always seems to be like that. You know, you you look at stories uh, from the 19th century of airships and things. It's it's not a technology that really wasn't all that comprehensible, but to be able to do what those things were doing was just kind of outside the reach of what airships of the day were really capable of. Um, so that in the way the technology or what the phenomena seems to be um, kind of calling us into some sort of future. And so I wonder about that idea uh, when you read um, John Keel's Operation Trojan Horse and, and kind of what it may be trying to do with us. It may be trying to draw us into a certain future that is not now. Uh, and in that way, maybe a type of control mechanism on humanity. And I don't know, I don't know what to think about that. Yeah, you mentioned again before like the, the idea of a, a trickster aspect to the phenomenon and it's even asking the question are are we ever meant to know what what's going on is it a case it's always it's like the the classic cartoon of you know someone running on a treadmill but they've got the carrot being dangled just in front of them mm-hmm. or like the donut or like the cream bun whatever it might be exactly and they're, they're always running towards it but never quite getting there um but for me it still brings up questions around the phenomenon itself and if we are talking about for example the phenomenon that would have a control aspect over us potentially being based in or around this reality or this planet already um, and interacting with us in that sense, would that necessarily stop some ET civilization from interacting with us and, and answering that question of are we alone in the universe? Because, you know, we, we might be alone in the universe, but not even on this planet, which is an idea, but it's... It just opens up to me of when we're talking about the phenomenon, does do different sets of beings and entities interact with each other? Do they know about each other? Um, 
right. I'd, I'd love to get your take on that when you, when you think about trickster and not being able to find out is that just about answering the question of are we alone altogether right i mean well that, that's an interesting idea to explore if we are uh you know interacting with lots of different types of beings maybe they are biological post-biological uh a whole host of different things it still begs the question why not a single one of those interactions has been uh consistent in, in a in a meaningful way why has it has a clear uh narrative not been imparted to humanity in, in a meaningful way so i, I don't want to discount the experiences that many, many people have had that have been very personal and very real to them where knowledge has been, has been shared with, you know, insert person. But at the same time, you, you know, you, you'd have to ask the question, okay, if you're such an advanced being that, that has a desire to uh, sort of bring a greater awareness to humanity you're not going to go about doing that in the, in the way that, that it has been reported, it, it has done it. You know, it just doesn't seem like a very um, productive way of, of seeding that knowledge with humanity. You know, you would do it on a larger scale or with a, a much more reputable witness or, you know, insert a lot of different things. And maybe that's me kind of being in a, a backseat sort of armchair quarterback on this, you know, uh, saying, well, I, you know, I would do it that way or that way, and I can't understand how some advanced sort of being would, would go about doing it. But it, 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 it strikes me that it's, it's a little bit strange that it isn't, it hasn't been a clear uh, means of communication than what we've been told. It's, I get what you mean. What, what you're doing is you're humanizing, aren't you? Because we have to put these things in a box of what would we do and why sure. it doesn't make sense to us. Um, that's right and, and that's if these if these beings or entities want to interact with us in that way do, right do they see us as being on par with them I, again i've i've talked ad nauseum about various different species on this planet and how we treat them and is there a potential that you know how we tag animals and throw them back in the wild and then just check their progress every now and again is that potentially what's happening because that could look like an odd practice to anyone. You know how we look at sharks and catch one, stick it on a boat, tag it, you know, hook it up to some computer and send it off into the wild on its GPS. Right. Is that any different to an alien abduction? Yeah. No, Pro- it's a great... prob- probably not. I mean, it's a great point. You know, we do, we, we can't help but anthropomorphize, you know, this uh, sort of experience. But I also wonder... If if you're an advanced intelligence and you've been observing uh, this species for for as long as we think they may have been doing that, um, surely you would have a a pretty strong grasp on you know human behavior, uh, human psychology, um, human language. You know, you know, it's it would stra- it'd be strange to me that an advanced intelligence wouldn't be capable of, uh, you know, kind of Rosetta stoning this thing and being able to like better, uh, communicate with, with us and communicate its intentions with, with us and, and, and create a, a, a meaningful relationship with humanity. So the fact that it isn't there, uh, or at least it isn't there in a way that is, you know, publicly known is, a, is a little bit perplexing to me. You know, maybe it, maybe it does exist and it's a, it's sort of a very private interaction with, you know, high level people, uh, representatives of the world, but that seems, you know, a little bit strange too, uh, in my opinion. 
Sure. Would that for you then give rise to the notion that the phenomenon and any intelligent beings, you know, surveying us as they are and studying us for as long as they are, um, that there are, there's more than one group and they're they're interacting with us in different ways, but with the ultimate, you know, collective goal of no, no one is to, to make that direct contact without, you know, without maybe an agreement. And I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, galactic federation levels mm-hmm. of conversation here. I know that kind of stuff has its own connotations when it's brought up, but if there was a group of, of two or three or four different entities where some were studying, some were totally nonplussed as to how we got on as a species, others were, were you know, rooting for us, and then some not so much, mm-hmm. would that maybe explain why we have that still kind of glass wall there as to why not that serious direct contact on mass? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps so. Um, and then what is the sort of level of awareness that humanity needs to reach in order for that embargo to be lifted on us you know so w- what is it going to take for uh humanity to um understand and to and to put into practice in order that we have a seat at that table uh, and our our awareness can be expanded on a global scale that i think that that's a really big question um, you know, are we on that path right now? Um, do we, are we really on that trajectory or is the water just continually muddy and, 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 and done Is it, is it muddied by, by intent, by purpose? Do, do you think there, that we can get to that level that there's, there's a chance to ascend to whatever evolutionary place that we would have a place on the table or is it a case of, it's just so unattainable or it's not something that we're meant to attain. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would, I I think romantically it would be great, right. To to have a seat at that table. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, I think it would be hard for us to not feel as if we were the child at the parents' dinner table or the pet in the, in the room at the dinner table, uh, that our intelligence may not really be at a level to where we could uh, properly uh, interact or have a meaningful contribution to uh, you know t- to these intelligences that could could be millions of years more advanced than we are. And and again, there's so many different theories, isn't there, as to to what's going on? And if if you go into some kind of zoo type theory or were some kind of simulation that maybe we are just here to be observed in studies as to as to how we turn out. Um, again, again, I I wonder if you're if you're going to anthropomorph you know, humanize it. I'll say that mm-hmm. because it's hard to say in a Scottish accent. <laughs> um, if you're going to look at how we would treat a species, like if chimpanzees, for example, or gorillas or monkeys or something close to us suddenly started developing something closer to English language mm. and building houses and creating a society more akin to what we recognize as being, you know, civilization, how how would we deal with that? Yeah. And we have pretty good precedent, I think, to answer that question. We would deal with it pretty poorly. Um, we, yeah. you know, we, we at one point, and I think it's hard for it was hard for me to wrap my head around this. But when you look at history, you know that there are multiple human species that existed on the planet at the same time. That alone is kind of a mind-boggling concept. Um, mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, we either uh, sort of interbred those other species out, or we or we killed them off. 
Um, so n- not a good look for uh, for modern humans. No, I, I know. I know. Jazz Shaw has a very popular dolphin theory that he, he jokingly threw out there once um, <laughs> on UCR. But I've used the analogy that imagine one day dolphins developed nuclear technology, <laughs> we would wipe them out. Right. That, that would be it. Dolphins would be gone the next day um, if there was any kind of hint of some kind of weapon being developed by another species. So I, that's where I, I take a step back on this and just look and go, you know what are the chances that some of these other species look at us as they'll let us go so far mm-hmm. and then you get an apocalyptic event or cataclysmic event and i know it's a maybe worst case scenario but when lou elizondo talks about and he was asked if people knew what you knew how would that sit with people mm-hmm. and he said it would be you know with a heavy heart and it'd be somber and uh, tom DeLong's talked along those lines before too Right. You wonder, is that a potential for it, that when you hear of these past civilizations uh, with humanity are getting to certain levels and then they're almost reset or wiped out or mm-hmm. these huge civilizations just crumble and go away, even as you know Atlantis, if that's what maybe happened back then, mm-hmm. then is that a case of that's why we can only get so far now? Um, and, and as a species, are we really doing that well when you look at the state of the planet? Right. So it's... I mean, it gets pretty depressing to think of, but mm-hmm. it's it's scenarios that ha- have a potential, right? Well, and I think you framed it well with with Jazz Shaw's argument uh, about the dolphins and nukes. So, if you were to give humanity any sufficiently powerful device that we could do harm to, you know, some other galactic species. Um, before giving us that that access, you would need a very high level of confidence to know that humanity, uh, as a as a sort of monolithic thing, could handle that technology in a responsible way. And so, how do you get from uh, human culture now that is pretty diverse and uh, has a lot of competing interests and competing ways of understanding uh, social interaction and whatnot to a more predictable? Uh, human behavior that then you're at a, you're at a place of comfort. Where you can say, well, I know now that humanity all behaves and and thinks in a way that is consistent, and that way is dependable. It's reliable. I can at this point kind of grant them access to this type of knowledge because I I have a great degree of confidence that they're not going to annihilate themselves or annihilate somebody else in, in the universe and. And so that that thought alone is pretty interesting to explore, right? Because it, it takes, um, I think it runs sort of counter to um, kind of a core human uh, sort of uh, principle or notion, you know, in that, that is our individuality. Maybe this is very more of a Western sort of notion, but, you know, you think about how we really put a lot of pride in our uh, diversity and our ability to kind of act on our own agency and what you're saying here with this kind of thought experiment is that we we need to have to we have to move away from that individualism and and to a higher sort of collectivist uh look at the world and look at the universe because if we don't do that then we're never going to be uh, permitted to be a part of this larger galactic family Awesome. Nathan could could talk about it all night, but we'll have to stop there for time. So uh, make sure you do call again for the next one. Okay, man? Sure thing. Thanks, Nathan. Yep. Take care, Andy. And after Nathan, we've got a final call, second time caller. We've got Rin joining us again. Rin, how are you doing tonight? Great, Andy. Thanks for having me back. 
always a pleasure. Uh, nice to hear from you. Um, you want to talk about abductions. We've been all over the place with the conversation in this, this second part particularly, which has been great. Um, but bringing it back to the first caller, talked a little bit about abductions. What are your thoughts then on abductions? And I'd like to know as well, in, in 2021, your thoughts on abductions? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think about, um, so like on the surface of it, I kind of, I start from a place of not believing them. Um, in, in terms of some of the sort of wilder stories, because, you know, there seems to have been like an era of abductions, kind of like mm-hmm. 60s, 70s, maybe even early 80s. Um, some of it just seems a bit too fantastical. And yet, like, I listen to um, some of these other podcasts, like the um, Nick Hunter One UFO Chronicles podcast. Yeah, sure. There's an Australian one called Believe by this guy Cage. I can't pronounce his last name, really. Um, Ryan Spriggs. But um, so this is what I've been listening to going to sleep lately. And I often end up like scaring myself. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't tear myself away. And I I love these um, formats, because you just get all kinds of people coming on and telling crazy stories, crazy stories. And they're not necessarily um, all, you know, specifically about abductions, per se. There are a lot of just like weird experiences, weird sightings, strange experiences that people um, experienced, you know, maybe with family members or other people um, to where there might be kind of like more witnesses involved. So there's, I guess, levels of quote unquote believability. Mm -hmm. Um, There's ones that strike me as basically right off the bat, anytime somebody is talking about like, oh, I woke up from sleep and I couldn't move. Um, to me, that just reads sleep paralysis. That's your, your brain's somewhere in between sleeping and waking. You're still in kind of a dream state, but coming into consciousness, your body is paralyzed because that's just something your brain does so that you don't get up and start walking around in the middle of the night while you're dreaming. That's a physiological yeah. fact. Um, those, I, I, I think they're interesting, but I don't necessarily think that they're factual the ones I think are more interesting are, um, I was listening, I think it was, um, Nick Hunter's, you know, listening to a story about this woman going to visit her mom is it was in the United States and upstate New York went to visit her on this farm. They saw, um, you know, via a craft moving over their farmhouse. They both got really sleepy, like weirdly sleepy, both went to sleep slept for like 12 hours, woke up the next day and just felt very strange. And there's, there was nothing more to it. They didn't have any, you know, physical evidence on their bodies. They didn't necessarily even think that they had been abducted, but they felt Mm -hmm. like they had had some kind of like physical effect from this thing passing over their house. Sure. Um, So I, I definitely think there's a, there's, it would make sense if there's some sort of phenomena of um you know if these things if we're assuming these things are real and they're really flying around in our skies um why wouldn't they have some sort of effect on humans if they're using some you know very exotic technology um just in the same way as if you know a jet airplane flew right over you if you're like you know out at Heathrow airport you're going to feel you know, uh, heat and movement of wind and, you know, breathe in a lung full of exhaust. So who the hell knows what kind of technology they, if they are, they have. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's one of these things where I, I find it like 
it says something about um, people, like abduction stories almost, it says more about the person or about human beings and human behavior. Uh, in the, in, it almost doesn't matter whether it's factually true or not. There's some kind of storytelling going on. They experienced something. Um, and I, I guess we have to accept that we'll never know what that something is unless you can manage to get two people kind of quote unquote abducted at the same time or like have an interaction with an, an alien at the same time. And somebody yeah. has a camera or catches it on a, you know, on their doorbell cam or whatever. Um, you know, I'm thinking of, um, you know, all the criteria with the sightings. I think it has to hold true for any sort of abduction stuff. Um, you know, one person just saying, Oh, I was abducted. Um, while you might have all kinds of reasons to believe them because they're a believable person or what have you, you kind of can't, um, it doesn't sort of quote unquote count in a way, unless there's, it would, you'd need other kinds of data in the same way that you need multiple forms of data as evidence for the sightings, you know, like yeah. radar, visual, etc. Yeah. So, so- I think that we get all wrapped up in the sort of past abduct the historic abduction stuff because it's interesting. Um, but that's all it can be, really. It's interesting. Yes, some really interesting points. Like first one I'll I'll pick you up on the sleep paralysis stuff. Now, I I genuinely can't tell you if I have suffered from sleep paralysis. I I've always lucid dreamed since I was a kid. Like I say, if you could plug into my dreams, I could literally usually turn around and wave to you and tell you mm-hmm. I'm in my dream. I I have really long dreams. Um, like I I'll be in New York, for example, which is a place I love. I've been a few times. Um, always want to go back, and I can literally feel my feet walking in the street. Like wow. I can I could tell you. Well, I te- I, I say I literally can. I'm just my, maybe mm-hmm. it's just my brain tricking me, but obviously it's my brain. But um. I, I can literally, I make a point of like stamping my feet when I'm dreaming mm-hmm. and it's like I can feel the concrete, I can touch the wall and it, yeah. it's just really mundane things, but I, I'm dreaming and it's just to try and realise though that I, I'm not actually awake here because I shouldn't yeah. be in New York and it's that kind of odd interaction with the environment that you know you're not supposed to be in. Um, but when it, when it comes to like, so I, I don't know because I lucid dream quite a lot, when I have those dreams of kind of sleep paralysis, if it's just a really intense lucid dream, or if it is, because I've had dreams where I am awake, but I'm trying to shout and I can't, mm-hmm. and you feel that there's something in the room, but you can't move. So I don't know if it's just I'm just having that as a dream, or as that sleep paralysis. Like there's no way I could I can tell. That's I mean from what I've read, that sleep paralysis because it does follow a bit of a a formula if you like a sensation of, well, not being able to move, a sensation of pressing on the chest, um, quite often a sensation of fear and a sensation of somebody else being in the room. Like I was reading a journal article about it today. And I think that there was a statistic, something like, um, like 7.6% of the general population experience sleep paralysis at times, you know, um, it goes up higher for, I don't know why they, they quoted like 28% of students. Maybe that's because students aren't getting much sleep or they're, I don't know, drinking a lot of beer. Sure. And then like close to 32% of psychiatric patients. Now they don't define like what a psych, what they mean by psychiatric patients, but anyway, so it's something that exists in, in not insignificant 
percentages. Like those are de- yeah. decent chunks of people, but that is part of it. The, that sensation of not being able to move that kind of like, if you're wanting to scream or shout or yell or whatever. And I think that like, there's stuff going back in history that sounds an awful lot like, like very similar stuff, but um, people in, you know, like the 18th century or 17th century would talk about like, you know, a little devil or demon, or I think a succubus, something, some devilish thing coming and sitting on their chest and like haunting them or whatever, you know? So um, it's kind of like, I think the meaning making that happens afterwards, that's also something very typical of what people do. You know, if there's, if people have just like pieces of information, it's really natural for them uh, it's a natural in- inclination for uh, the mind to want to kind of like put it together in t- in t- into something that makes kind of sense. Mm-hmm. And each individual is going to make, you know, construct meaning that's meaningful to them. So um, it will, you know, feel very unique to them because their brain is ha- trying to figure it out the, the puzzle, if you see what I mean. Absolutely. Um, but you see these common patterns across all these stories. And having listened to a lot of these, um, you know, listener call-ins where people tell their stories, all the ones that resemble sleep paralysis have a lot of these same features. Now, you, you make the point again about, and we talked about this, uh, some of us in the, the Discord chat as well, to give that a shout out about abductions maybe not happening as often now or not being as, as popular, if that's the word mm-hmm. to use now as they were in the past. And I, I brought up the fact that, the ones that seem to have lasted as, as stories from the past is because there was no social media. They were they were told through books or word mm-hmm. of mouth and very rarely did it make it to TV and that kind of stuff. So they've, they've lasted the test of time because as books started to be written and we got the internet and people heard more and more about these stories, many of these people had, had passed on or the stories had lasted for so long. They were almost folklore and a little bit sacred. Mm-hmm. You get to 2021, and I saw a video a few weeks ago of it's it's an apparent abduction, and this goes to your point of we would have to get more evidence than just that one source telling a story, and it's a very realistic looking video of security camera footage. Um, I can't remember if it's a couple or one person, but the what seems to be the the guy sleeping in the bed. It's got the time, the date, everything, your usual camera footage of the room, but you suddenly see the where he's lying and um, with the quilt over him, it just goes down as if he kind of slowly mm, goes away. Disappears. And then I don't know if you've seen the same footage. No, I haven't. But but then some amount of time later, you very quickly see him come back up, almost as if he's came from under the bed, but like Weird. through the mattress. Wow. And then you see him kind of wake up and there is nothing I can see with an untrained eye in that video that says it's fake no doubt it's pretty easy to do with the right camera techniques or tricks or whatever Mm -hmm. okay but for me that could be a genuine piece of evidence that could be a genuine abduction or there may be others out there like that but it's just a video on the internet so what like you say what level of of evidence would be acceptable now because that that could be legitimate but it's just now because we're so used to it it's Mm -hmm. just another video online that's could be real probably fake yeah i think it would have to come down to in the same way that stuff kind of filtered through from aviation and the military like you know stuff would start to filter through from cctv and the uk 
you know, as you probably know, it's one of the most, you know, worth some of the most spied upon citizens just in terms of like how many CCT cameras are in, in our environment yeah. in this country. Um, so it could be that if this is a real thing, that's where some of this evidence would start to come from because you've got like a camera mounted up on a pole at an intersection somewhere where there's not a camera person there's, and there's no motive necessarily, unless you've got a really bored CCTV person in the middle of the night, you know, just kind of like, I'm going to make an abduction video. But, but again, like these things take time and effort and honestly, like who, okay. So of course there are people out there who do this for fun but my mind always goes to who the hell has time to like invest a, a ton of energy into like making fake videos these days. I mean, everyone I know is busy as hell and tired and just sort of like burnt out and wiped out and like, why bother? So I think that anything like truly interesting would be coming from these kind of like, um, yeah, more, uh, I don't sort of infrastructure, CCTV cameras or, okay. or kind of observing um, modalities, which and you mentioned, I think are all around us. We just don't think of it as much. Yeah, and you mentioned before as well about if you could get other data like electromagnetic, radar, all that kind of stuff. Now, it's very unlikely anyone's going to have radar data or footage of your abduction. On your house, that yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but th this, again, I suppose, goes back to the argument of which people don't like, of, or why are we taking just military cases and why are they so special? It's because we have all this data because of the scenarios and environments that these sightings or experiences are happening. There just happens to be a lot of stuff being recorded. And if you want and to go out... And they also have the most badass technology on Earth. Like, oh, the, it, is, yeah. it is the most, you know, aside from, I suppose, private industry, which would be an offshoot of military, like, it yeah. is the most advanced technology because they're in the business of you know, protection and spying, essentially. But ultimately, you, you kind of said at the start, Run, to go back, you you don't necessarily believe abductions do happen? I mean, no. Let me let me reframe it. I, I feel doubtful about the sort of historic ones, as you were talking about, like the ones that are that have kind of passed into legend, mm -hmm. um, especially, um, you know, I sent you the link to that article earlier. Basically, my view now is, Anybody who um, kind of didn't just sort of spontaneously remember something and they only remembered something when they went to therapy, and especially if it was like hypnosis or, or regression therapy, I'm sorry, but it's, it's a load of crap. It's, it's really dangerous. Um, and it's not because I think that people are um, making stuff up to be jerks. You know, I, I think they genuinely... Um, you know, they might've been going to therapy for other reasons, who knows, but you base, it's unethical. You can't go, you shouldn't be going to therapy to say, I want to find out if I've got a buried memory. Okay. Like no, no ethical thera therapist would take that on and, and be like, Oh, let me hypnotize you and find out if you've been abducted by aliens. If somebody came to a therapist and said, I'm having recurrent nightmares and they keep waking up in the middle of the night or I woke up in a field and I don't know what's going on and I want therapy to talk about that and something more emerged from the conversation. Okay, that's one thing. But I, um, And I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like a lot of the historic ones, um, I think maybe even Travis Walton, I, I sort of recall listening to an interview where he said something, and now correct me if I'm wrong, um, 
where he said, I didn't remember anything about what happened to me until I went to therapist and to, to see a therapist and I got hypnosis. And that to me is very suspect. It doesn't sure. mean that, um, you know, everything he says is not true, but that just makes me very suspicious. No, that that's fair. And I think there's a lot of people when I talk to them about this and, and, and Dan said this same thing a few times as well on a few subjects that that's not to say that that person doesn't truly believe it happened to them. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it did happen. But then there's also the argument potentially of, as we start to wrap up, like the do some of these abductions happen from a purely conscious point of view where it's the consciousness mm-hmm. aspect of it that you know again if, if tonight i experienced one of those abductions that was say non-physical that mm-hmm. you could literally see me on camera in my bed all night and i don't move however yeah. i do have an experience where you end up on some sort of non-physical craft or orb or you know with some sort of entities but the whatever a soul may be mm-hmm. has the experience and you don't so that that's always and maybe it's a form avenue. of communication rather than yeah. a literal abduction, but we, we just don't know. Absolutely. Uh, Rin, really good call. Appreciate your time as well. And make sure you call in again for the next one, okay? I will do. Thanks, Andy. Thanks. Thanks.